0: Hello, and welcome to the Block Solid Podcast, where we talk about the evolution of the property market, the newest tech that enhances and revolutionizes the world of real estate as we know it, and how we, the owners, the buyers, the renters, the investors, and the entrepreneurs can benefit from it all. I'm Yael Tamar, CEO and co-founder at Solid Block, and I'd love to welcome my friend from, I guess, three, maybe more years ago, Daniel Cohn.
1: i flying yeah how you doing?
0: Great. So Daniel is one of the OGs, as we say, original gangsters of this industry. He is the co-founder and the chief commercial officer of Tokeny. I think first time I met you was probably in Switzerland, right?
1: It was in Zurich, I think.
0: Yeah, it was in Zurich, way way back when we kind of like I think all of the companies in the industry were getting together and figuring out the compliance network, the compliance frameworks all over the world and how security tokens would be the new standard. And so I'm here to ask you, you know, three years later, what is it all about and how the industry is looking today and whether what we planned in the beginning and what all the forecasted has panned out and where are we going from here?
1: Looks very exciting. Happy to answer those questions.
0: (laughs) Amazing. All right. Very cool. So let's just start with talking about tokening. Give us a brief overview of what your company does, and maybe even why you started the company back in the day.
1: Yeah. Well. So originally, the idea started from a meeting that I had with Luke, our current CEO. I knew Luke for many years because I was coaching an incubator in Paris called Startup Forty Two, and he presented when he was twenty-three a project with two of his friends. The idea was to create a marketplace or e-commerce company. At the time, the project was called Modizy. It changed its name to Iceberg. And so we accepted the project in the incubator, and we follow him numbers of months. And then they had the minimum viable product ready, and they were looking for investors. So I invested in his company, and I followed him for seven years. So the company was sold to a French group. He left the company, and he came with this idea of doing the same thing that he had been doing for the last seven years which was to create marketplaces. But in this case, it was to meet a new need, which was to implement such a platform for onboarding investors wishing to invest in ICOs. At that time, if you remember five years ago, almost more than five years ago, those ICOs were all over the place. Yeah. And I had indeed already some good connection with blockchain because I also invested into a mining company and opening apprentices here. This is probably one of the funny stories of my missed opportunity. So I invested into this company called BetaRix. They were mining Bitcoins, right? Remember, that was mm -hmm, almost 10 years ago, right? So I think I invested something like 20,000 euro. And after six months, they came back to me and they gave me 40,000 back, something like that. They doubled my investment. And they said, guys, what are you doing? Well, well, we make so much money. Now we're going to go hiking in New Zealand. And they stopped the company, right? After six months. So I don't know how much this investment would be worth today, but okay. Yeah. So that was my exp- dealing with investing in blockchain. So I knew a little bit about crypto and look, say, you know, there is this need now to have a platform, but bring a little bit of compliance around those ICOs because for the moment, it's a wild, wild west. And I say, well, I think I like the idea, but, Having also worked in finance for about 10 years at Clearstream Banking in Luxembourg, I say, wow, but this is a game changer for the financial industry. I mean, if you really have an infrastructure that can manage counterparty risk, this is a game changer. So I say Banco. So I invest into Tokeny and I invited Luke to come to Luxembourg because Luxembourg was really a central place for investment fund. I think they are the the second largest place in the world after the US. And I said, you know, this is really where you have to come. So I introduced him to the loft of Luxembourg, of the fintech in Luxembourg. So he moved, he was at the time living in Paris, he moved to Luxembourg, and I supported him with that move. And I followed the company for about a year, helping them wherever I could. And then we closed the fundraise, the first fundraise with Zeronex, and everybody agreed that it would be a good idea to bring someone with with a bit of gray hair around the team. And I had plenty of gray hair, so I joined the team full-time. And that was like, yeah, almost five years ago. that's why I came across... This industry, I came across Luke. And what about tokeny Well, tokeny is, you know, we started with ICOs, right? We started with building a platform that was allowing investors to invest in, into utility tokens. And as I said, in that time, it was really the Wild, Wild West. So there was no KYC done, nothing. So, nice. so we built a platform to facilitate the onboarding of investors passing KYC. And actually, it was a very successful platform. We onboarded close to 50,000 investors, wow. helped raise $50 million Dollar, but as you know, you know this this ICO wave, you know, disappears as, as fast as it started, right? right. So, and this is when we decided to pivot to to digital assets, which was the original reason why I invested in, in into tokeny, actually.
0: Wow, that's really cool. Well, first of all, I thought the gray hair was a style choice. <laughs> Beyond chose- that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the security token industry did come out of the failure of the ICO industry, but the recognition that the whole mechanism of fundraising on the blockchain is revolutionary in many, many ways, You know, even beyond the secondary market and also in all kinds of waterfalls and reporting and cost savings and servicing and you name it, all the financial services just kind of line up and are so much better on the blockchain. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages that Tokeny and platforms like Tokeny bring to the space?
1: Well, you know, if you start dealing with, well, I started my explanation with like ICOGT token, I'm not regulated instruments, so you can do more or less whatever you want, right? The moment that you start dealing with securities, that's a different game. Securities have very strict rules. And there is one reason behind that is to protect investors. All those rules associated with security law being MIFID and anything like this, or restricting access to qualified investors or accredited investors, it's all about protecting investors. And so the moment that you start representing those instruments on a distributed ledger, how can you enforce those regulations? Again, with the ultimate goal to protect investors. And so what we realized is when we moved from utility token to security token, there were no standard for this industry. The only standard that existed at that time was the ERC-20. There was another standard called the ERC-734 and 735, which we use today for on-chain identity. But there was nothing that was allowing to control the token once it had been issued. If you issue an ERC-20 and I've sent you this ERC-20, whether you will like it or not, it will end up into your wallet. So if you happen to be Russian, for instance, this is great. But if you're getting one from Russia and you're not authorized to get those assets, then you're infringing the law. So we needed to bring a standard that was allowing not to control the blockchain, which is what private chain do, but to control the token, because we do believe in private in, in public chain. We do believe that you know if you are constructing a new infrastructure from scratch, don't recreate the silo that exists in the financial ecosystem, right? Build it with the the view that security should be circulating freely, globally, because this is where, indeed, you can start creating paths towards liquidity. And to enable to do that, you need to permission the token. So there was no standard for doing that. So what we did is we took the ERC-20 and we replaced the transfer function that exists into an ERC-20 with a library of a smart contract, and then we branded to the ERC-3643. We submitted that compliance framework to the Ethereum community and we received this very complex 3643 figure. And how it works, it combined this compliance token with an identity token. So today, most of the solutions that exist in the market are whitelisting wallets. However, if we talk about compliance, wallets are not compliant because I can give you the private key of my wallet and you become the owner of that of that instrument without even having passed KYC. You know that that doesn't work in finance, right? Mm-hmm. So so you need to be able to KYC people. This is what obviously the law obliges you to do. So if you only use wallet, that's not possible. So we are using on-chain identity. Of course, you know, when you use on-chain identity, you don't have data on-chain. What you have is proof of identity or proof of documents that are there to confirm or put the, the compliance framework into action. This is how it works. So we link your token with your identity and within your identity, you have wallets and you use your wallet to sign transaction, to identify yourself as the owner. But so this is the combination of this identity token with the compliance uh, token that builds our compliance framework. And the moment that you deal with security, you need something at this level of permissioning. Permissioning not only for you as an issue to control your token, but also permissioning to make sure that you can enforce the existing rules and regulation. You know, if you look at EU regulation that came recently, of course, there is MICA and there is a DLT-powered regime. MICA, in its definition of digital assets, specifically excludes financial instruments because they say, guys, we don't need new regulation for digital assets. You just need to follow and enforce the existing one, typically MIFIT. So you need to have a mechanism to do that. And of course, you can, as an issuer, control your token with the ERC-3643, but how do you allow third party to continue operating under the mandate that they've received from the regulator? Like, for instance, a custodian. Custodians are responsible for guaranteeing the integrity of your asset. You cannot lose an asset, right? So the custodian play that role. How do you do that when obviously the asset is represented on a distributed ledger and is controlled via, via our wallet? That's not possible. So we use on-chain identity also to define this agent role that we can assign to third party. So they can be KYC agents, they can be custodian, they can be transfer agent, anyone that obviously operate under a specific mandate, which is defined by law, we can enforce that through the use on our chain identity. And this is really what makes our solution unique. So we are capable of representing financial instruments on this distributed ledger technology and strictly enforcing the compliance that exists today and that is connected with those instruments.
0: Okay. Wow. That's really exciting. And how do you deal with any changes in compliance? Or is the compliance global on the platform?
1: So we are agnostic to the compliance itself. We have a framework, and, and we've been working five years ago with with DLA Piper. At that time, DLA Piper worked with us to better understand what were the specific rules applying to to those instruments. And you know, at the end of the day, you know these eighty twenty rules work pretty well. You know, eighty percent of what we have built uh, so it covers the needs of of most of the assets today in the industry. Those rules are not very different. They sometimes carry a different name. You know, in the, in the U.S., they refer to a credit investor, which is typical from the U.S. So, you know, to define your ability to invest, you need to have money and prove that you have money. In Europe, we refer to qualified investors. So you need to prove your qualification, so your knowledge. And if you can, well, they've defined the threshold, which is typically 100 or 120,000 euro of minimal investment. So this is basically those type of common rules that exist almost everywhere. Then, of course, you have specific rules. And we usually go market per market with law firms. We're not law firms ourselves. We're a technology provider. So we make sure that our compliance framework is as flexible as possible. The way we structure our smart contract also enable that flexibility. Instead of having one smart contract with eight smart contracts, with one master smart contract that obviously you know, also have a smart contract address, and then we have those seven other smart contracts, each one of them playing a specific roles. If you need to update your framework for whatever reasons, then you can just cha- change the smart contract connected to the smart, to the master smart contract without having to burn the master smart contract and create another one, which would change the address of your token, which could be very annoying, especially if that token is using DeFi protocol, for instance. So uh, agnostic to the regulation, agnostic to the type of instruments. We have been tokenizing funds, debt, coins, real-world assets, as they call it today, commodities. So th- that is the strength of what we've done, is to be agnostic to the type of instrument, to the type of legislation, and to be as open as possible. And this is why, obviously, we have open source, our standards. So the ERC 3643 smart contracts, and they are available on GitHub if anyone wants to make use of them. And what we promote is the use of that, those smart contracts to a set of API that are institutional grades. And that's really what we monetize at Tokeny. You know, if you look at, you know, other type of similar activity in the, or value proposition in the market, like Linux, for example, Linux is open source. That doesn't prevent Linux from making money, right? So you open sources and that push to market adoption. This is what, you know, standard needs to have, critical mass, otherwise it's not a standard. And then you you start building some services around that that create value for your clients. But other, you know, companies can as well use those standards to create their own value and differentiating value proposition.
0: Wow, that's really cool. So I see that you guys have evolved in kind of your smart contract standards. So that's exciting. Tell me more about just generally how the whole industry has evolved in terms of technologies or in terms of financial services that are being put on the blockchain. And basically, what is the utility of the security token, if we can say it that way?
1: Yeah. Maybe let me start with with a story around, you know, neobanks, right? You remember a couple of years ago, everybody was talking about Revolut and 26 and how those companies were going to change the world of finance and how we deal with finance. If you look really close closer to what they've done, they haven't changed anything. What they did change is the front end, being the relationship between the service provider and the client, you. But if you look behind, you know this interface, nothing has changed. I mean, they, those neo banks are still relying on traditional banks and financial institutions to provide the plumbing, as I call it, of this all end-to-end service. So when I look at blockchain, what I see is the next-gen infrastructure. So it is about changing the plumbing. It is about changing how finance is done. And this is not trivial, because if you look at how the financial world has been building for the last 100 years, of course, you you had a lot of small entities that started to merge, each one having a specific information system, a specific mainframe, mainframe, et cetera, et cetera. And those mainframes were first designed to be as secure as possible. So not designed to exchange information, but then they became more and more complex because again, they were cons- they, they were not consolidated. They continue existing in isolation. So we have created a huge gas factory. So to transfer asset between one entity to the other, it's a nightmare. It's super complex. It's super expensive. It's not efficient. It's certainly not aligned with, with today's technology. So what this technology, what this infrastructure enables is to start with a blank sheet of paper. This is telling me, you know, as a bank, you don't have to shut down your business for five years and say, guys, you know, we need to fix this, come back in five years. You can enable this new technology, this new infrastructure, while continuing to provide service to your client. And that is really what I think is amazing with this technology. Is again, it's about, it's not a, a revolution, this is an evolution But if you look back at the internet ages, you know, we wouldn't be able today to deal without email, right? At that time, it didn't look as a revolution either. It just got on us like this and suddenly everybody was using email. I think this is exactly the same thing that will happen with digital assets. This is simply going to be mainframe. Well, mainframe, yeah, we say that. Simply because this is a more efficient way to represent financial instruments and those traditional legacy infrastructure Will simply be removed for that simple reason.
0: Wow. Okay. Understood. Interesting. Tell me more about kind of different projects that you're involved in. What are the best use cases for security tokens in the financial, among the financial instruments or asset classes?
1: Yeah. Well, I will start with one that you know very well, which is real estate, right? I think that if you look at the first project that had been successful, those are real estate projects. First, because I think that it is easy to connect to real estate investment. You know, it's not necessarily easy to connect to a BlackRock fund, but if you talk about a building in Paris, in Frankfurt, in London, everyone can have an idea of what is this is value, right? Especially if you look at certain markets, the barrier of entry to invest into those assets is too high. You know, I've been living for 20 years in Luxembourg. Try to buy an apartment in the center of Luxembourg now; it's not possible. But you still want to get the benefit of you know of such an investment, which is yielding you know at, at above 10% per year. Right? So how do you do that if you cannot buy the whole apartment? Well, you buy a fraction of that. So there are ways to do that. There were ways to do that today, but they were very complex way. So blockchain brought an opportunity to disrupt that market by allowing to digitalize the old end-to-end user experience and allowing indeed through the token to create a digital representation of that investment. And of course, you know, I think the real estate industry has always been very innovative. And a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people in that segment saw that opportunity and were the first one to embrace the technology as a mean to disrupt the industry. And that's why I think that we saw a lot of projects and a lot of projects have been successful, because indeed, there were a connection to those investments. There was a need to understand what those investments were about. There was simply a demand, a strong demand, so this is really the first use case that we saw that has been successful. Now, in the meantime, I think that the traditional finance industry has understood the potential of the of the infrastructure. And I don't know any bank today that do not have a digital you know, director or CEO or, or whatever, and this is assessing the opportunity for them to migrate to such an infrastructure. Sure. I think that the first one that will go mainstream will be the one driving innovation and will be the one that will push the others to move much faster. Because, you know, I always refer to the Kodak effect, but you can either you can believe or not in the technology, but once it's become mainstream, you know, if you're not up to speed, you're simply going to disappear. And it may be far-fetched to consider that those very large organizations will disappear, but I think that the speed at which this evolution will take place will indeed create a real threat for those organizations if they are not in a position to respond to the need of the client. And we've seen that already a little bit tip of the iceberg with crypto. You had people that wanted crypto and simply the fact that they wanted crypto have pushed all those organizations to start talking to the like of Fireblocks, Copper and others, get ready to support that need by building a custody infrastructure, right? So now that pushed them, of course, to be equipped. Now they are equipped. So what's next? So now they start really looking at the infrastructure, and The benefit that it's creating and this vision of liquidity and how you can enable that liquidity. I have my own view on how this, this is going to take place, but the best way to describe it is very much comparing this industry with, with Apple. If you look, for example, and I've been developing you know streaming application, music streaming application. So I've been going through this process you know numbers of times. So when you launch your application, and obviously you want to launch it on the Apple store, you need to submit your application to Apple. And then after a couple of weeks after the first release, you get notified by Apple that you can obviously release it in the App Store. Very different on Google. Google does not require pre-approval. You launch. And if, obviously, you enable in-app purchase and you not declare it, then you're in big trouble. But let's go back to Apple, right? So Apple is very much like the regulated entity that will go to the screening of your application to make sure that it's aligned with their own principle, right? So like any regulated market infrastructure that is allowing a service to be attached to a a digital asset, so I very much see those regulated entity being the, the wall garden towards the regulator, enabling indeed those services to be attached to those assets. Keep in mind that a digital asset is an asset that is represented on the distributed ledger. It is there, and whether we like it or not, it could be visible to everyone. And then you will have third party application that will be providing services to those assets. It can be valuation as a service, like what Invenium is doing. It can be DeFi protocol, like Aave and others are doing. It can be secondary services, anything you can think of. You know, when the iPhone was launched and the App Store was launched, there were just a couple of applications on those stores. Now, there are millions of applications. Well, think about the same thing for digital assets. For the moment, there is limited third-party services available to enrich the data and make it more performing. But if you look at public blockchains such as Ethereum, there are 340,000 developers, so people developing solutions to empower you know public chain and building those future apps. So there will be a profusion of third-party services that you as an issuer, can allow to be connected to your assets and to enrich or activate your assets. And they will be regulated market infrastructure and you need those regulated market infrastructure because they bear the responsibility of what type of service can be attached. So they will be the world garden to those services and they will continue doing that because, again, on you know, on those type of infrastructure, you still need someone responsible. And that's in the, the regulator. You cannot remove that. So there will be someone that will be responsible towards the regulator. It will be those market entities. But But think about, you know, the future of industry very much like a kind of app store
0: interesting so tell me more about the differences between let's say u.s and european jurisdictions where is the best place to launch your token where do you think you have better fertile more fertile ground for let's say the secondary market
1: well obviously you know the u.s is a very interesting market because this is in single markets it has a critical size that no other market has in the world if you want to go big obviously u.s is probably the right place to start now, of course, there is this big debate around regulation and can you de- do it or not? I think this is the wrong debate because, as I said earlier, with making this comment related to Mika, Mika says just follow the rules. And the SEC exactly says the same. The same. If you smell and act like a security, is a security. So just enforce security rules. No one is preventing you from having a token, as long as you carry it and you manage it and you operate it following the specific rules associated with that instrument. That's exactly what people have to do today. There are numbers of countries that have started to develop specific regulation. That is true, but not necessarily to recognize those assets, because as I said, the existence is already recognized by law, but to recognize that there are new roles that need to be played to manage and service those assets. So as I said earlier, you can use a blockchain to manage counterparty risk by deploying a smart contract, a DVD smart contract. So, okay, who's going to write the smart contract? Because the code will do what, it, what it's told to, be, to do, but what it is badly programmed. So you need to have specific rules to address, first of all, service provider around that. Uh, but you also need to recognize that there is a new infrastructure that makes caduc a lot of those historical roles. So indeed, if you can manage counterparty risk for a smart contract, why do you need a CSD? Why well, do you need a central security depository? The role of the central security depository is simply to manage, to manage the counterparty risk. When two counterparty have agreed on the trade, then they need to go to settlement. So you need to have an, an account with those CSD, a cash account and security account. And on settlement date, well, both accounts need to be provisioned. And on settlement date, there is the exchange of cash and security. With the blockchain, you don't need that anymore. But has every MTF, ATS today that has a license is obliged by law, to work with a CSD, how do you basically meet that regulatory obligation, being an ATS or an MTF, if you settle on the blockchain? So we will still see regulation evolving to address the fact that there is this new infrastructure. But that's a different debate than defining what a security and what a digital asset is. And for that, you don't need new regulations. So everybody can issue today uh, assets on the blockchain, you don't even have to ask the permission. You know, if you use an asset servicer or a custodian, you know, is your custodian asking you, do you allow me to use Excel to keep your, my, my, the registry of your certificates? No, they make their own technology decision, right? Everybody is free to make this, they, their own technology this decision and empower new services as long as there's respect and they do that in, in the respect of existing law.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Daniel, tell me about tokenies. Future plans and what you envision, and what you and your CEO envision for the company moving forward.
1: Yeah, well, key priority for this year is really to position this ER three six four three as an as an industry standard. So we are going to release DApps in the coming month, allowing people to create a token as they want. So we want to remove every barrier of entry to tokenization, to enabling to create representation of anything that has a value on public chain so that's the next big step for us because the industry needs standards if you create silos there's absolutely no way you can achieve critical mass which is what we need to create liquidity there will be no liquidity without critical mass keep in mind that we're dealing with private asset not public asset public assets have critical mass simply because there is a whole ecosystem around those assets you have market makers you have rating companies First, you have your obligation to publish your books. And that's why you have rating agencies assessing you know, the risk with your asset, the value. Then you have market maker, based on that assessment, taking position on exchange. You don't have that in private market, right? So the only way to achieve liquidity in private market is to build critical mass, is by having a lot of people dealing with those assets. So And for that, you need a standard. So the, the first objective of in this year is to open source our standard even more and have more people making use of it, because there is no such a standard today in the industry. That's priority number one. Priority number two is to enrich the ecosystem. I mentioned earlier world of apps. I mean, we need more apps. We need more people delivering value to those assets. We are the first step towards creating that value by creating the standard and the token. But then what do you do with it? You know, if you just create a digital asset to have a digital cap table that has limited interest, you can as well do that on Excel, right? So you do it because you want to be able to enrich that data to make it more data-rich and more performing. So we want to create an ecosystem. That's why Tokenid has been staying away from very specific activity. We are not a transfer agent. We're not an ATS. There are companies doing that, doing that well. We are not a valuation company. There are company doing that. We're not a DeFi protocol. There are company doing that. So what we want is to be one brick of that ecosystem and as many entities joining that ecosystem, enriching that ecosystem, creating value for investors. This is what will drive market adoption. If investors do not see value, if they just see cost, then there will be no interest for them to join. So enriching the ecosystem is key. So having as many people joining it and I mentioned in Vinyam, uh, we can talk about Onera. We can talk, of course, of our exchanges. Arcax has been doing a great job in the UK, SDIC in Switzerland. And it's relevant whether you know they use private blockchain or not, because ultimately, you know, those exchanges are centralized exchange. The matching of transactions happen on the exchange, so they can use any technology. As long as the settlement of those transactions and the value added associated with the transaction will be done on those public blockchain, because this is where you remove all the barrier of entry to third-party services and you creating that critical mass. So enriching that ecosystem is our second objective and priority. And then our third priority is to start really building new ecosystem or business models around those tokens. So what are the charging principles? How do you enable those charging principles? How do you enable also those services that will make that user experience seamless? i give you a good example of that. The moment that emails start to be creating this tipping point is when we remove all the complexity of dealing with emails. You know, if you have to go through a very complex process to identify yourself, to set up your account, et cetera, it's a showstopper for any user, right? So we need to remove all those blocking points to a technology adoption. One example of that is a solution that we've built that we call the gas tank. Mm-hmm. The gas tank is a feature that enables to pay for the network consumption. As you know, you don't support the cost of the network. You pay the network a fee for the consumption that you make of that of that network. This is You pay the miners for doing that, right? And you pay a gas fee for doing that. So if you want to provide a, an experience to users where you remove completely the complexity of, of the blockchain, for instance, by removing the need to sign transaction by using a wallet, wallet can be integrated into your browser. But if that is the case and you don't see the wallet anymore, how do you know that you have to pay the network? How do you know that you need, for example, Matic because your token has been published on Polygon? And where do you buy Matic? Right? So we build a gas tank function that allows us to whitelist wallets and to screen those wallets to make sure that they have enough matic on the wallet. Matic costs nothing. So it's easy for us to wire those matics. So if you remove the complexity of dealing with a wallet and you just click on your browser to make transactions, we would basically pay the network. With our solution by using this gas tank function, mm-hmm. removing again the complexity of having to deal with the wallet and having to deal with the fact that you need to pay the network for doing that. So, this is just an example, but we're working with a lot of those solutions mm-hmm. to enable all the market participants to hide towards day and investors the complexity of the technology. Because I think that the moment that this complexity disappears, this is where we will see mass adoption.
0: Okay. Wow. This is a really, really interesting case that you're describing because there's always this fear that the users that are not crypto natives will have to deal with opening wallets and keeping the keys and things like that. And you are solving this in a creative way. So I love it. So Daniel, tell me where users or investors or issuers can find you and what kind of services they can get today.
1: Well. Obviously, we're not that visible. Actually, I think that's, sorry for saying that, but our marketing budget last year was, was 500 euro per month. So mm-hmm. we, we, we don't spend much marketing budget. The reason being that we believe that the, the future of Tokeny is to build an ecosystem of partner that will integrate our solution. So we see very much ourselves as a kind of middleware between business application and the infrastructure. And the best way to sell middleware is to partner with company that already have clients that are already servicing those clients, that are already selling security to those clients, and to simply create an interface, this middleware, between their business application and the infrastructure where those assets will be represented. That's why we started to work with system integrators like Accenture, like Capgemini, and others, and we started also to work with very large financial institutions that are integrating our solution into their, their core banking infrastructure. So we are not visible. We don't intend to become that visible. We are known in the industry for being, you know, the developer of this ERC 3643, which hopefully will get more and, and more traction this year. But this is really our market positioning, be a little bit like the Intel inside, right?
0: Yeah. interesting. I love it. Well, very, very cool. And thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience, something that you want the industry to learn or to pay attention to focus on
1: this year, specifically 2023? Well, no, actually. But I would say that they should definitely look at solid block. (laughs) Great investment opportunity, real estate. I think that you've been doing an amazing job. You were referring to me like one of those you know, member of the first gangs. I think you were there as well. And I think what makes us different is indeed to have been in this business for quite, you know, a numbers of years already. And because we are still there, it means that we do something right. And being in production, being delivering solution to clients is an educational process. And this is really part of the value proposition beyond the investment. Is really the expertise that we bring into those clients. So I guess that I would like to say congratulations also to you for having made that journey. And I'm sure that, that we'll come across, you know, you and other people that have been indeed for quite some time in the industry as well. And we'll continue building the future of that industry.
0: I appreciate that a lot, Daniel. Thank you for the shout out. Shout out. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I'm sure we'll meet each other at the countless, con- you know, conferences. Uh, I love to hang out. And I think actually just saw you two months ago briefly in LA, right? Late blockchain real exactly. week, Yeah, so awesome. it's important to, For us all to share expertise and to learn from each other and to use each other as, I guess, a crutch to get into the next uh, era, the financial services and issuance on the blockchain. But yes, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise. And you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or by visiting our website, solidblock.io/podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review and spread the word and check Tokeny. I guess, the new era of tokens for securities.
1: Thank you very much and see you soon.